0: The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Does this life matter? Does this life matter? And is there anything beyond this existence? When this all comes to an end, does it just fade to black? Or is there something beyond place a hope in those two questions is there meaning to life and, and what happens to me after I die those two questions are two of the most significant questions you can ask and answer in life there are other important questions like where did we come from and how do we decide what's right and wrong but everything hinges on these questions of does this life matter and what happens to us after we die And those are questions that can either give us a lot of hope or they can trouble us immensely as we think about uh, the the reality of, of at some point we will draw our final breath. And when we do, when we do, is there anything that we can do or accomplish in this life? Is there anything that we can achieve, any legacy we can leave that the inevitable death awaiting us does not nullify and cancel out? The hope of Easter is, is that there is something beyond this life, that there is meaning to this life. And for the Christian, if you're, if, if you're a Christian here gathered together today, it doesn't come down to some clever argument. It's, it's not about some philosophy or, or something, some distant hope that you place your hope in. No, it all hinges actually on one single historical event, one event in history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all hinges on whether or not Jesus was raised. And you might struggle with some aspects of Christianity. You might think Christians are hypocrites. How many of you think Christians are hypocrites? (laughs) We all are, right? To some extent. You might struggle with with, with certain aspects of Christian teaching, and you agree with some of, of the morals you see around you, or you disagree with others. But none of that really matters if Christ was raised or if he was not. It all hinges on that question. It all comes down to this. Was Jesus raised to life? Was Jesus raised to life? If he wasn't raised to life, the the Apostle Paul, he says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, and you just saw this, this verse, he says, if he has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, if this is all there is, he says, we of all people are most to be pitied. Because we, we as Christians live in such a way that, that, that we are willing to sacrifice, willing to lay down our lives for belief in this. And if, if we're willing to do that for something that is a lie, for something that is false, for something that, that does not actually give hope, we ought to be pitied. Did Jesus come back to life? Paul goes on to quote the attitude of his, his day. He says, if the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink. He says, do whatever you want. For tomorrow we die. In other words, if this life is all there is, enjoy it, live it up, get the most out of it, because nothing you do will last. It's a hopeless outlook, isn't it? See, if, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, if you're not a, a Christian here this morning, if he didn't actually rise from the dead, then, then why care what Christians have to say about anything, Our entire belief system hinges on this event. If he was not raised from the dead, then this gospel that we keep proclaiming, it's not good news, it's fake news, or it's bad news. But if he did rise from the dead, it changes everything. If a man claiming to be God came into our existence and lived and taught and did all these things and died and was buried, well, that's something. But if he rose from the dead, we, we better be, listen to everything he has to say. Because if he was raised, that means that we have a hope and a purpose for this life here and now, and for a life beyond, beyond pain and death. So did he? Did he rise from the dead? Now, I, th- I think a lot of us, if we're logical people, and in this area, you see yourself as, as smart and intellectual, because you are, you are. And so the idea of resurrection is difficult to us. It's difficult to wrap our minds around this idea that somebody could come back to life. This doesn't hold up to any kind of scientific rigor. It's, it's not observable. We get, don't get to go back and see it happen. It's not repeatable, is it? Which, by the way, is just the nature of miracles. But honest people have this massive historical problem. As we look back 2,000 years ago, on the one hand, we, we believe resurrection is impossible. It cannot happen, right? Right? And on the other hand, we have to come up with some explanation for this this thing called Christianity, for this explosion of the church into the world. Within just weeks of this event being reported, that Jesus had come out of a grave alive, this movement of a couple dozen, maybe a couple hundred followers of Jesus grew within weeks to thousands and then spread around the world like, like wildfire, with hundreds of thousands within decades professing faith in Jesus in a time in which the population of the earth was far less than it is now. Something happened. Something incredible happened. This doesn't just happen. There had been many uh, religious movements of of that day that had come and gone when the leader died. But this one endured. And it endured with the simple message that the leader, the Lord of this movement, had come back. From the, the dead. It all began with a carpenter who, who taught with authority, who led this movement, who was executed when he became a threat and was buried in a tomb on a dark Friday evening. So, we're going to look at John chapter 20, at the resurrection account. And before we talk about the, the case for the resurrection, let's look first at this account. Let me remind you, Jesus has just suffered a horrific criminal's death. And I don't want to go into the details in this moment, uh, but, but he has been crucified, one of the most brutal deaths you can imagine. He's been taken down from the cross, and on this high Sabbath, it's it's Passover, and the sun is setting. Friday evening begins the Sabbath until Saturday evening, and so they need to do something because the sun is beginning to go down. The day is coming to a close, and Jesus is is hanging dead on a cross, and so two religious leaders, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they they arrange for the body of Jesus to be taken down before sundown. They hurriedly, with, with blood on their hands, embalm him, wrap him, and lay him in a tomb, carved into the cliffside, and roll a massive stone in front of the entrance. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus at this time, and you see this happen with your very own eyes, what would your response to this event be? They're fearful for their own lives. Their leader has just been killed. They're scared. They're distraught They're mourning, they're grieving, they're in sorrow and anguish. They don't even know what to think. And so they do exactly what we would expect them to do. They go and they scatter and they hide and they wait and they mourn. As their leader's life has ended, so ends the movement. And so they spend a quiet Sabbath Saturday. They're locked away, not doing anything. The whole countryside is quiet as the Jewish people observe their Sabbath. And they wait and wonder and desperate grief and fear while their crucified Lord lays alone in a borrowed tomb. John chapter, uh, we'll, we'll start in verse nine, uh, chapter 19 and read a few of these verses and then look at chapter 20. It says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's John, the one whom Jesus loved, he loves to remind us of that, (laughs) and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Notice this, she doesn't immediately think resurrection, he's alive like he said he would be. Now, what does she think? She thinks that his body has been stolen on the Sabbath. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, note this, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, But folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Notice, there's no mention that they had suddenly this idea, this inspiration that Jesus was resurrected. It says that John believed. It doesn't actually tell us what he believed when he saw the empty tomb. They go back and and they are despondent. They're not crying out, he is risen. No, actually in a few verses we see Mary sitting alone in the garden crying out, where have they taken my Lord? The tomb is empty. And really, there's no historical debate about that, whether the tomb is empty or not. The Jewish people, the Romans, the disciples, they all are equally baffled by the empty tomb. The historical consensus on this is overwhelming. Jesus' body is nowhere to be found. Somehow, he is no longer in the tomb. And if it wasn't empty, if the tomb wasn't empty, it would be so easy to shut down this movement. Really? just, Just produce the body. Produce the body. And then the movement of Christianity is over before it even begins. The tomb is empty. So what happened to the body? And that's the question I want to look at this morning. We need to all wrestle with this. What happened to the body? The children here, they already know the answer, but we're going to look at some of the the practical or the popular theories of what could have happened. And we don't have uh, an unlimited amount of time to discuss this. So if you're a skeptic and you're here, welcome. We love that you're here. If you're just checking out Christianity and Easter is the day you come to church, We are so glad you joined us. You are always welcome here, and we welcome you to come back and ask questions and and, and keep sitting with us week after week. We love that you're here. But I'm going to give you uh, four possible explanations for the empty tomb, four possible explanations for how this tomb became empty, and then you are going to get to determine what you think is the best explanation. And what I hope to do is not give you all the information in the world, that would take too long, but simply to establish that the burden of proof in regard to the resurrection, is not just on Christians. This is the first possibility. Number one, that the grave was robbed, right? This is where Mary's mind immediately goes. This is where Peter's mind immediately goes, that the grave was robbed, that somebody uh, came and stole the body, The first assumption by the the Jewish leaders would have been that the disciples, they formed a raiding party, they came in the middle of the night, they broke into that tomb, and they took Jesus' body out and began to tell this lie about how he had been resurrected. Now, now this seems very unlikely, given the disciples' state. Think of the fear they're in. Think of the sorrow and the anguish that, that they're experiencing, and as they're terrified and scattered. Or maybe it was someone else, some other revolutionaries who were sympathetic to Jesus or just wanted to shake things up. And so they break into the tomb and they steal the body. This seems very unlikely given that even the most revolutionary of Jewish people would not have dared to do this on the Sabbath. They would have waited certainly a few days rather than violate this holiest of all days. But if they had, if they had, what about the guards? What about the guards? The historical record tells us that that the Jewish leaders fearing an attempt by the disciples of Jesus to steal the body had set a guard of. Roman soldiers, 40 in total around the tomb to guard it through those early days. These are the best of the best. How many of you have a military background? Any of you here? Yeah, thank you for serving. I, especially the, the Marines, they take very, uh, a lot of pride in, in their uh, role as warriors. Imagine 40 U.S. Marine Corps soldiers around the tomb. And imagine that, that these grave robbers come. Mary Magdalene and a bunch of weeping fishermen come to break in. How do you think that's going to go? Who do you think wins that altercation? It's not likely, especially considering the stakes. These Roman soldiers have a lot on the line for dereliction of duty, for not doing what they're supposed to do. They could be executed. So... Is that what happened? Was the grave robbed? One other detail that's interesting here is that the burial cloth is left behind. That doesn't make sense. You burst into the tomb. You take the body and it's go, go, go. Let's leave the burial clothes. Unwrap him. We got to go. And then someone folds up the face cloth. Like, is this the most OCD grave robber in the world? (laughs) Some of you would do that. I know you would. (laughs) It just doesn't make sense. Okay, that's one possibility, though. The grave was robbed. The second possibility is this. Jesus was resuscitated. This is called the swoon theory, that Jesus wasn't actually dead. And the idea behind this is that he didn't actually die on the cross, that he was there on the cross and perhaps helped by some of the bitter wine that was extended to him on a spear. He he passes out, which he would have every reason to pass out after what he's gone through. And so the idea is is he's laid in the tomb, and in the damp cold of that tomb, he suddenly (gasps) wakes up. He wakes up, and so it's a resuscitation and not a resurrection. He then gets up and takes off all his burial clothes. He folds up the face cloth and lays it to the side. He, he doesn't make a single sound of agony. He simply crawls over in the dark and pushes over a stone that probably weighs 1,000 pounds from the inside. He walks past 40 Roman guards, and then he starts preaching again within hours of this event. Seems plausible. No, it, not, not really. When you consider the cause of death, it, there's children here. I don't want to really get into the details, but, but we've all kind of seen this. And even the children among you, you've heard the story this week, how Jesus was beaten and, and tortured and whipped and nailed to a wooden cross through his hands and his feet, how he's paraded through the heat, mocked and scorned, how he was hung on a cross till evening and finally stabbed with a spear in the side. So this swoon theory, when we consider how Jesus died for us, has some issues, and even if he was alive and escaped the tomb, I, how does he move this stone? Just the other day, I was trying to move this, like, decorative rock that was the size of a tire, and I'm, I'm really strong. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Okay, uh, I, I, like, threw my back out just trying to, I, I just couldn't do it, okay, and the stone that was blocking a tomb that someone could duck into and step into, imagine the size of that thing. It would, a 24-inch boulder weighs about 700 pounds. Think about that. And this stone was even larger. How could he do that? And how does he get past these Roman guards, leaving his clothes behind and making a mad dash out in the darkness past the watch of these Roman guards? Additionally, the scripture tells us that that when he comes out of the tomb and he begins appearing to people, it's not a resuscitation. It's not like he's walking around wounded. Even if he could survive that crucifixion, which is impossible, but even if he had, he would have to be in critical care in a hospital for weeks before he could walk around. And, And here, within days, he's showing people the holes in his hands and feet. He's saying, look, touch. He's speaking with them casually. He's eating meals with them. So that's the swoon theory. The third possibility, other than Jesus was resuscitated, is that history was rewritten. And maybe this is the most uh, compelling possibility, that the disciples were just so in love with this cause of Jesus, so compelled by his cause and his teaching that they simply wanted his ministry to go on. They could not let it end. And so they gather together and the disciples put their heads together and they develop this, this doctrine of, of substitutionary atonement and, and resurrection. And, and these fishermen start spreading this rumor that Christ is alive. And over time, this rumor gains momentum into a widely and develops into this widely accepted. Legend, like a a game of telephone that spreads around the world and and morphs into this resurrection narrative we know today. But as we began this sermon, you saw a scripture on that video from 1 Corinthians. This is a letter, 1 Corinthians, written only 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. It's one of the earliest known letters from Paul. And in this writing, uh, this is a moment in which Christianity had already spread like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire. It is all over the place and with remarkable consistency, all telling the exact same story that Jesus rose from the grave. Not to mention that hundreds of people claim to have seen Jesus alive after the cross. Paul, in his letter to Corinth, he basically says, see for yourself. He says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He died. He was buried. And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom, listen to this, are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's Jesus' brother, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So these are living eyewitnesses To the the resurrection of Jesus. Paul, only 20 years later, imagine this is like 2003, Jesus was resurrected. And only 20 years later, Paul is saying, ask around. Many of us have seen him. Many of us saw him in the days following his resurrection. This is not a legend. This is not a nice story. This is a fact. He's saying, ask around. There's evidence. So in our modern intellectual snobbery, we're all very educated now, and we think that that this idea of resurrection would have just been easy to put on on all these simple folk. They would believe it because because we are smarter than them. They would be likely to fall for that kind of thing because they were more superstitious. And so the question is, are we actually so intellectually superior? I would argue, based on my social media feeds, (laughs) I don't actually have social media feeds, but if I were to be on there, (laughs) I would say we have not progressed all that Much. And in fact, like this idea of resurrection, even to the Roman people, this would not have been a desirable outcome. There was this growing movement in the empire of Gnosticism, this desire to separate the soul from the body. Like the the body was distasteful. It was something that they would love to cast aside. And here, this message of Christianity, this new message is that the body matters, that Jesus came out of a grave physically, that he is alive. This message would not have been something that, that would have appealed in this day. And so, it would be preposterous to the Romans for someone to to claim that a a bodily resurrection would occur. Not only would it be preposterous to them, it would be wholly undesirable. Now, there are numerous other reasons why this is unlikely, primarily due to the fact that if Jesus was actually buried in a tomb, I already mentioned this, it would be very easy, easy to produce the body, which incidentally never happened. Additionally, at this time, the testimony of women was not highly regarded. It was not admissible in court. And yet the first person that discovers the empty tomb is Mary Magdalene. And so, so if the disciples were trying to concoct a story that would convince everybody that this is what happened, if they wanted to, to have a story that held up to scrutiny, certainly as they were making this up, they would have decided that, that, the, that the most trustworthy and noble among them, someone perhaps like Peter, would be the one in their story to have discovered the empty tomb first. Certainly not a woman, unless that's what actually Happened. Additionally, in the first century, there were numerous other Messianic movements, Jewish or other leaders, rising to prominence and then being executed by the Roman government. And what is so unique about Jesus is that in every other case, when the Messianic leader is killed, their followers have two options. Number one, give up the revolution. Or number two, find another leader. Claiming that the original leader had come back from the dead is simply not an option. Unless, of course, he had. And lastly, and most compellingly to me, this is something that we all have to wrestle with if we're skeptical about the resurrection, is that all of the disciples, all of Jesus' closest followers, were willing to die for this message. And I don't just mean willing to die. Almost all of them, with the exception of John, who, who lives out his days in exile on the island of Patmos, all of them suffered and died for this message of the resurrection. I won't give you the, the, the ways that they did this other than Peter as an example. Many were crucified. Peter as an example, uh, determined to be crucified upside down because he saw himself as unworthy to die in the same way as his Savior. Does that sound like someone clinging onto a hoax? Does that sound like someone who, who, who made up a story? Now, now, people die for false things all the time. We know they do. But does anybody willingly die for something they know is a lie? What they know is made up. And yet, what we see is that all of them were willing to die for this. All the disciples, Paul, Stephen, all of them, were willing to die for this resurrection message. Does this sound like a bunch of men holding on to a hoax? Or does this sound like a group so committed to their belief in the living Christ that they held their lives cheap? The fourth possibility that we see then is that Christ is risen. Christ is risen in accordance with the scriptures, that, that what the Bible says about his resurrection, that it is true, that it came to pass. Why does it matter? Well, if the disciples were willing to die, they were willing to die not simply because they saw Jesus alive, but because of what it means, because of the gospel good news that it brought, forgiveness of sins through the cross and eternal life through the empty tomb. We cannot forget on this Easter Sunday, Good Friday. Some of you, you you pass over that and you come and it's just, it's bright and it's hopeful and it's joyful and it's full of flowers and dresses and all this stuff that that Christ has risen from the grave. We cannot forget Good Friday that he suffered, that he suffered and died on the cross. That is at the core of the Christian gospel because what it indicates is that that we were desperate, that we were in need of rescue, that that you and I were lost and flawed in our sin and that Jesus determined that, that the way to save us was that he had to die for us. So flawed that Jesus had to die. And yet we are so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me and for you. On the cross, Jesus paid it all. On the cross, Jesus substituted himself for us. He took our unrighteousness upon himself and he bestowed on us his righteousness. He paid our ransom in full so that we might have new life. This is the promise of the gospel. But apart from the resurrection, this gospel is incomplete, it's not enough. That someone were to die, that, that's not enough. But what the resurrection does is it assures and it secures our salvation. How do you know that what Jesus did for you was enough? How do you know that he actually paid it all for you and defeated sin? So that if you believe in him, you no longer have a condemnation. How do you know? In those days, if someone was in serious debt, they could be imprisoned or enslaved. And the only way that you knew that their debt was paid in full was that they were released. They were set free. The book of Romans, it tells us that the wages of sin is death. The payment due for sin, the debt that is owed for sin is death. And what Christ did when he sprung from the grave, when he he came out of that tomb, is he broke the chains of death and showed that the debt was paid in full. Now, we've all had that unpleasant experience. Anyone ever been to Walmart? That's not the unpleasant experience I'm talking about. It's it's when you're exiting the store and you have your cart full of goods and someone stops you and says, hold it right there. Let me see what's in your cart. And they look and suddenly you feel like a thief, right? Like you've done something wrong and, and they look and make sure that everything that's in that cart is bought and paid for. Did you actually pay for this? Let me look in your cart. And this is inconvenient and it's irritating, but what do you do? You reach into your pocket and you pull out what? The receipt. And you hold it up and you say, trouble me not. <laughs> Be gone. <laughs> Why? Because you have proof. You have proof that the accusation has no standing. If you are a Christian and you've been a Christian your whole life and you're coming to Easter and you're like, I've heard this message dozens of times. Tell me something new. If you're a Christian, I just want to ask you, have you learned to do that with the resurrection? When your conscience berates you, when you feel attacks and accusations from the enemy coming against you, telling you that you're unworthy, that you're, you're trash, that you're all these things, that you're still dead in your sins, that you'll never live up to Christ's love for you. Have you learned to hold up that resurrection receipt and say, trouble me not, be gone. My king died for me and he is alive. That is the hope that we have. That is the assurance that we have in the resurrection. That he didn't just die for us, but he is living now. We have a living king who came out of a tomb, alive, who reigns forevermore, and who gives us a hope in future resurrected life with him. The resurrection assures our present salvation because we are free from the penalty of sin, paid in full, but it also secures our future salvation. We can look forward with hope because our future salvation is not just being forgiven. We look forward to resurrection life like Jesus had, a resurrection body, a new heaven and an, a new earth. Life again with those that we've lost. A place without tears, suffering or death, all things new. Tanya read it this morning. Or she, she said it this morning, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have what? Eternal life. Eternal life, that's what we get through belief in him. Do you know that if the resurrection actually happened and that if you believe in Jesus Christ, all these things, no more tears, no more suffering, no more death, all these things are literally going to become true? And if you're completely skeptical of Christianity, I would ask you, don't you want that to be true? Don't you want that to be true? Why are you resisting so much? Why do you have so many walls up? This life matters. It matters. And there is a life to come. And and the resurrection shows us that. Christianity not only promises that these deep longings we have will be fulfilled, but it demonstrates how. Deep in our souls, we all long for life after this. We all long for an escape from the decay of time. We all long for uh, an escape from death. We long for love without goodbyes. Don't we? Love without goodbyes. We long for evil to be defeated, for this darkness to lift, and for light to reign forevermore. All of us desire these things. And Christianity promises that these longings will be met. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Does your life matter? Jesus' death on the cross demonstrates that it matters immensely. And his resurrection shows that it matters eternally. What we do in this life, the decisions that we make, whether to to receive his grace and salvation, that decision echoes in eternity and it shapes how we live now and how we will live forever. Because of the resurrection, even in our darkest of trials and our highest of triumphs, we have hope. Because of the, the resurrection, if you believe in what Christ has done for you, you can face even the door of death and step through, knowing that it is not an exit From life, but an entrance into resurrection glory. The band can come up. Let me close with a verse, and then they're going to play a song, and you just get an opportunity to reflect and to sit and to listen to the music, and then to respond. They'll invite you to join in singing as we conclude our service. I would also remind you that there will be people over here by the windows to pray with you and for you. I just want to give you one verse. And then pray. First Corinthians fifteen fifty four to fifty five, pointing forward to this resurrection hope that we each have in Christ. It says, "When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting?" Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel that it did not end with a cross, Lord. But this good news continues because of an empty tomb. Oh Lord, we put our hope in your resurrection hope. Lord, we thank you that our li- lives here and now matter, that they have meaning and that we can look forward to eternal life and glory with you. Lord, if there is anyone here this morning that does not yet know you, that is, has been resisting and, and holding up walls against you, I pray that today is the day that they, they would let down their guard. Lord, that they would step past those barriers. And A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're a sinner in need of mercy and grace. We all Need mercy and grace. Admit. Be belief that Christ is your only Savior. Believe and see. Choose to follow Him. If you do that today, your life will never be the same, and your eternity is secure in Christ's loving arms. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you rose. In Jesus' name.